and welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This is a ministry of the UGA BCM on campus in Athens, Georgia. We're so excited that you've decided to tune in today. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Um, back a couple weeks ago, uh, Jesus talked about money and the love of wealth. And basically what we found in that was that Jesus basically said, hey, if you're chasing after wealth and you're chasing after money all the time, you got a problem. He said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and you can't serve mammon and, and, uh, or, or money or material wealth. And uh, so now we, we jump on to verse 25 through verse 20, uh, 34, and Jesus is going to uh, jump into this, this issue of worry. Uh, and, and some of you may have heard before that to, to worry is to sin, and, and, and you've heard that uh, proven biblically and scripturally and so forth. And some of you, that's, that's, a, that's a little bit of a controversial thing to say in the world we live in today, if I'm being honest. That worrying anxiety can be a sin. We know why that's a controversial thing to say, don't we? Because the truth of the matter is, is that many of you in this room right now struggle with stress and anxiety. Many of you right now in this room struggle with uh, depression that's come out of stress and anxiety. And you're like, Tommy, are you sitting here telling me that uh, if I've got some chemical imbalance thing going on in my brain that's being treated with uh, medication or something like that, or I'm having to go see a therapist and those kind of things, are you telling me that that's a sin? That's not what I'm telling you. But what I am telling you is this, is that the Bible does tell us not to worry. And when we do something that the Bible tells us not to do, well, there is a spiritual component to it and there is a sin component to it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so we do have to start with the understanding of what we're going to read tonight, that we do see where worry becomes a sin. One of the things that I'll tell you has happened in our culture and in our society today is, is that, and I truly believe this, particularly in your generation, is that we have went from struggling with anxiety to identifying as anxious people. That is a sin. Does that make sense? Right? For, for you, if you struggle with anxiety, and I know, again, there are many of you in here that do. Look, that's, that's, that is real. But if you have said, I'm going to give in to the place that I'm just going to say, hey, you know what? Guess what? Realization is I'm just an anxious person. you got to love me the way I am. It's a different category because now we're identifying with something other than Jesus in our life. Does that make sense? Right? That's identifying with something other than Jesus in our life. And so I know that may hit kind of hard and usually you start off on a topic like this soft and then you let it hit hard later. But I wanted to get that out there to begin with. So we can read everything we read and see everything we see within that context because it is going to get softer in just a minute, Okay. But here's the reality. Why did I say that the way I said it? Because, you know, one of the things that used to happen, and I truly believe that this is part of the reason why Jesus goes from talking about material wealth and chasing after wealth to then moving on to worry, is that what used to happen, what used to happen is, is that most of us in this world, my age and older, even all the way back to Bible times, worried about material wealth. That's what we worried about. We worried about how are we going to eat. We worried about how are we going to live in a home, right? How are we going to pay for those things? How are we going to have clothing? We worried about the stuff that Jesus addresses in this and says, hey, you need to quit worrying about that. The problem today is this. It seems, particularly that amongst Generation Z, we worry about everything. I mean everything. 
According to the American Psychological Association, in a study that was conducted in 2022, 90% of Gen Z experienced psychological or physical symptoms as a result of stress in the previous year. 70% of Gen Z said that anxiety and depression are significant problems amongst their peers. And Generation Z in 2022 was two to three times more likely to think about, plan, or attempt suicide than any other generation. This may be the most relevant thing we talk about this entire semester. Matter of fact, in another study that was performed in September of 2022, we found that 85% of those who were, um, who were part of the study said that Gen Z was worried about their future. 90% of Gen Z did not believe that their generation was set up for success. 75% of Gen Z that was interviewed felt that they were at a disadvantage compared to previous generations. 39% of Gen Z regularly saw a therapist once a week. 57% of Gen Z took medication. 42% of Gen Z have a clinically diagnosed mental health condition. One-third rated their overall health as bad. And 90% of those who were diagnosed with a clinical medical condition said they struggled with anxiety. It got really quiet, didn't it? So what does the Bible say? Well, before we get into what the Bible says, I want you to understand three conditions to everything I'm saying tonight and what God's Word is saying tonight. This is not just a pray-it-away sermon. It's not what this is. You hear me? It's not what it is. One of the reasons that's not what it is is because if you have a medical or a chemical condition, it should be treated as such. And that is okay. God gives us doctors for a reason. God gives us therapists for a reason. Right? Now, I will tell you this. If you have the option to go to a Christian therapist, I would highly suggest you go to a Christian therapist. Because the worldview that is out there is very different than the worldview that goes through the lens of Scripture. Does that make sense? And I personally believe that part of the issue we have is that the worldview out there has begun to control the narrative on things such as this. And so we've created a spiral. But, number three, the Bible does and Jesus does address it. And that does mean that there is clearly a spiritual and physical component to anxiety. So with that said, let's begin reading in chapter 6 of Matthew, beginning in verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not uh, toll, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? 
You of little faith. Do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you tonight that as we look at this word, that Lord, for those that are in this room right now, and I know there are many that struggle with stress and struggle with anxiety and and other mental health issues, Lord, I ask you tonight, Lord, that tonight not be something in which they feel like your word is beating down on them, but tonight be something in which they recognize that your word gives them hope, that your word gives them peace, and that your word gives them assurance. Because Lord, as we celebrated yesterday, Your resurrection, you give us hope, you give us peace, and you give us assurance. And so, Lord, I ask you that as we look at this tonight, Lord, that you will help each and every one of us leave this place more free than when we walked in it. Lord, not that we will walk out of here thinking we can just pray stuff away. Lord, we do know prayer works. We do know prayer is real, so we're not saying don't do that. But Lord, that we will recognize, Lord, that even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our difficulties, Lord, Lord, that you, that you are enough. And that, Lord, what you've called us to do is to seek after you. So, Lord, help us tonight to see exactly what you say about worry. And help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, help us to see. Lord, how that we can overcome it. Help us to see how that we can, for some, take a small step in dealing with it. And Lord, help us to see how that even if we are struggling with it, Lord, we can still struggle with it from a place of freedom. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So here, Jesus tells us to consider three things when dealing with anxiety and worry. The first thing he says is to consider the passing troubles of life. Consider the passing troubles of life. In verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or drink. He says, uh, you will, uh, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. He says, it's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. In verse 27, he says, who of you by being worried can add a single hour To his life. In verse 31, he says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? He says, The Gentiles eagerly seek all those things. In verse 34, he says, Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, Ignore the passing troubles of life. That's not what he says here. He says, Consider the passing troubles of life. He says in verse 34, after he just told us, don't worry, guess what? Each day has enough troubles of its own. That's what he says. We don't read this and go, hey, you know what? We shouldn't worry. We shouldn't have stress and anxiety in our life because the reality is everything's going to be fine and hunky-dory. Right? He doesn't say that we should read this and go, hey, whatever will be, whatever will be. It'll be whatever it is. Right? That's not what he says. No. When we read this text... What he says is he acknowledges that you need food to eat. You need water to drink. You need clothes to wear. He acknowledges that. He acknowledges that there's enough trouble in its own day than there is to worry about the next day. He acknowledges that. But he gives us this hint here 
that it's passing. Notice what he says when we look at verse 27. Actually, it's the end of verse 25. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Each day has enough trouble of its own. We understand that. But tomorrow will care for itself. What that means is, is that what we deal with today is passing. Because there will be a tomorrow. What he says is, is that your life is more than just the physical needs that you have. There's something greater. The physical needs are temporary. Is not life more? Life is temporary, so troubles are temporary. And what I would share with you tonight is this. Is that if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a difference between that which is temporary and that which is permanent. Because what we see here is but a vapor in what we will experience for all of eternity. And then we even find in verse 27 that worry does not lengthen our life. He says, has anybody added a day to their life from worry? By the way, remember back when we started back in the fall, we talked about like creation and we talked about how that the Bible actually proves itself out in science if you really give it time enough. Y'all remember that? Um, hey, people die from heart attacks because of stress and anxiety. We know that now, right? <laughs> we know that now, right? What we know science now teaches us is that, wow, Jesus was right. Worry doesn't add a day to your life. Matter of fact, what it does is it takes days away. It takes days away. So what Jesus again is saying is not, hey, get over it. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, hey, that's not really that big of a deal. No, he's saying, hey, listen, today may have plenty of struggles. Today may be full of trouble, no question about it. And you may need to eat, and you may need clothing. But guess what? Life is more than that. It's more than that. In the whole scheme of things, it is temporary. You know what that means? That means there's hope. It means there's hope. Frank Cox, who I worked for for like a year back in the day, many of you are uh, from his, I say many of you, some of you are from his church um, down in uh, North Metro in Lawrenceville. Uh, he wrote this book because his first wife died from brain cancer and uh, before he met Miss Mary. And um, he, uh, in it, he says, and, and I've heard him say it from the pulpit many times, probably 30 or 40 times in the course of the year that I served with him uh, as their interim middle school pastor, he would say all the time, he'd say, hey, you're either... Some of you have probably heard this before. You're either coming out of a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're going into another storm. He used to say that all the time. Right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. So when you think about how am I going to deal with the stress and anxiety in my life? Look, here's what I believe. You got enough to worry about on what you know is happening right in front of you. Quit worrying about what you don't know may happen in the future. Does that make sense? That's a good place to start. That's a good place to start. Because, hey, James talks about the fact, hey, we don't know who holds tomorrow, but we sure know who is there. Who's there? Jesus. 
Jesus. There is only one. There is only one. Let me go back to our creation talk for just a second. Who who created time? God. Time is created. So who is the only one who knows tomorrow? Who? God. 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 So consider the passing troubles of life. Not that they're not real, but they are temporary. They are temporary. Secondly, consider God's provision for nature. Consider God's provision for nature. Verse 26, he says this. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 28 through verse 30 says, And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He uses a couple of examples here when he talks about God's provision for nature. He talks about the birds. And he says the birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He talks about the lilies and he says, man, the beauty of the lilies, the beauty of the flowers. He says, not even Solomon, the wisest of the wise, the greatest of the great, not even he. The guy who had literally, I mean, one of the ancient wonders of the world was this dude's gardens, right? Not even that guy, not even Solomon, could clothe himself in the beauty of the lilies. And then he talks about the grass and the grass that's here today, gone tomorrow, right? He says, if God takes care of it, won't he take care of you? What's interesting when you see And consider God's provisions for nature and how that he takes care of nature. What you find is this. The Greek word for worry actually means to be drawn in different directions or to pull apart. Warren Wearsby says, until humans interfere, everything in nature works together because all of nature trusts God. I mean, what else is nature going to do, right? People, however, are pulled apart because they try to live by depending on The material, i.e. what they can control. So here when we consider nature and we consider God's provision for nature, what it does is it humbles us. Because it reminds us that it is God who created the heavens and earth. It reminds us that it is God who placed all these systems in place in which we see the sun and the moon and the stars and we see the, 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 the rain and the sunlight and, and the flowers grow and the flowers bloom and all these things, Right? But yet, what we do is we do what this word worry actually means. We sort of go off in crazy different directions and pull all this apart. I mean, you can really go back to creation story. And you can remember that even creation itself suffered from the fall of man. So here's my point. My point is this. Is that if nature can trust God to provide. And we're made in God's image. Why can't we? 
I mean, there's some smart dogs. Would everybody agree there's some smart dogs? Like, whoop, whoop, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? But I hadn't met one smarter than me. I hadn't met one smarter than Luke. I ain't even met one smarter than Justice. Or Eli. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, I think part of our problem is we got too smart. How many times is what gets us in trouble the fact that we can't quit thinking about it? You ever been there? I mean, I've woken up at 3, 4 in the morning before. And it's, it's miserable. When you realize you need to tell somebody something the next day. Or you know you need to do something the next day. And you wake up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And you're like, I just need to quit thinking. I just need to go back to sleep. Because I really need to get 3 or 4 more hours of sleep. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And you can't because you can't turn your mind off. Anybody ever been there? Thank you. I'm not the only one. I'm so happy with that. Whew. And the more you have to do, the worse it gets, right? It's crazy. It's kind of like that definition of worry. We're drawn in 20,000 different directions. And it's like we're trying to like juggle all this stuff in our life. And so then we can't get anything done. So back when I used to coach football, something got real popular about the time that I started coaching when I got out of college. And uh, it, was, it was the spread offense. And uh, some called it the air raids, stuff that like how mommy ran and all that stuff. And then there was this guy named Tony Franklin that used to coach with them. And he created this thing called the Tony Franklin system, which basically he ripped off the air raid system and then he made these wristbands and you could pay money as an organization or as a high school to be a part of this system. And they would literally teach you how to run your practices and you could have like special like kind of cool sessions on these phone calls and you could go to special clinics and all this kind of stuff. And uh, most of what we see in like the, the college passing game today is really based off of that system, uh, whether you give credit to Tony Franklin, Hal Mummy, or some of those other guys. And one of the things about their system, by the, by the, way, fact, or by the way, that's what Mike Leach, Mississippi State, like that's what he ran, right? If you ever watched Mississippi State play, Mike Leach literally had his entire offense on like a little piece of paper. Because before that, uh, the difference between that spread system and a lot of the other spread systems was is that the other spread systems were based upon... You know, y'all understand what I mean say spread? I mean, we go to the University of Georgia. This should, this should hit some of you. Like, you know, multiple wide receivers, quarterback and shotgun. Y'all got what I'm saying now? Okay, you with me? Okay, and we're going to throw it all over the place, not run it much. All right, most of those other spread systems early on tried to run a ton of different passing routes. A lot of times they would have route trees and they'd try to run all kinds of different combinations. And so the idea was, man, if I can get my playbook as thick as possible, man, we're going to beat people. And so what Tony Franklin, Hal Mummy, Mike Leach, what those guys figured out was is that if you try to be good at everything, you're going to be terrible at everything. 
you're not going to be good at anything. Does that make sense? And so what they did is, is they, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to simplify and we're going to get really good at a few things. And we're going to teach our quarterback how to make reads. And we're going to run those few things really fast, really precise, really well. And they put up a lot of points and a lot of yards until defenses started understanding what was happening around. When we worry, we're like the offense that's trying to run so many different things that they're terrible at it all. They don't know their identity. You see where I'm going with this? They haven't figured out what their DNA is. Do you see where I'm going with this? At least some of you athletes in the room do, right? At least some of you people like football do, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? A good offense in football knows what its identity is. And everything else is based off of there. When we worry, we get headed in so many different directions... We forget nature and that nature trusts God and we start worrying about everything else and we quit trusting God and then we can't be any good at anything we do because we forgot where our identity was. Do you see what I'm saying? So consider nature. Consider the passing nature of our life or troubles of our life. Consider God's provision for nature. And then third, consider your priorities. Consider your priorities. Verse 33. By the way, if you struggle with stress or anxiety, I encourage you right now to remember this, to write it everywhere you can possibly write it, to stick it on a magnet on your refrigerator. By the way, this is one of those things that if your grandmama has this on her refrigerator, it's not out of context. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know how like there's 30,000 verses that everybody or memorizes like the one verse and they stick it all over stuff and half the time it's out of context, right? This one's in context if it's on your refrigerator. It works for everything. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Remember where I just ended that when I said we should consider God's provision for nature. When we don't consider God's provision for nature, we get pulled in 20,000 different directions because we're worried about what we feel like we can control when in reality most of it we actually can't. And so what happens is, is then we're not good at anything because we've forgotten our identity. And so in verse 33, what it tells us is this. Go back to who your identity is in. Seek first His kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. Then all these things will be added unto you. By the way, when you read this and you say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then, boy, I'm going to get whatever I want to get, that's garbage. That is out of context. Because you know what he's referencing here in this passage of Scripture? He's saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He just listed a bunch of just very practical, basic needs. Did y'all see that? Food, clothing, Right? It's what people need to survive. Right? And, and so what he says is this. What he's telling us is this. Even more, even more, check this out, this is amazing. Even more than your basic physical needs for survival, you should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because... If you don't have that right, none of the rest really matters. And because if you don't have that right, when something else goes wrong, 
we're going to get pulled in all kinds of different directions. So what Jesus is telling them is this, and you got to think about this in context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's setting up for them their need to make who their foundation? Jesus. It's going to end in two weeks. And Jesus is going to be the foundation. On this rock, we'll build our house, right? Not the sand. So here's the point. You cannot deal with stress and anxiety and worry in your life on your own. You can't. And you can't overcome it on your own. You can't. And I'll go even further and submit to you that if you try to overcome it, even through the means that culture has said we can use to overcome it, and Jesus is not part of the equation, your overcoming of it will be very temporary and very short-lived. Because somewhere along the way, something else is going to go wrong. Somewhere along the way, something else is going to shake your foundation. And when it does, you've got to be able to look back and say, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If I was in a good old Southern Baptist church right there, they'd have said amen then. We need Jesus. I want you to think about this for a second. I said consider your priorities. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Here's why worry and anxiety can be a sin. Because when you're worrying and anxiety about something comes to the place that it has preeminence in your mind and it has the priority of your life and you can't get over it, you can't get done dealing with it, you can't get away from it, let me ask you a question. Haven't you in some ways, haven't I in some ways in that moment taken that thing that we're worrying about so much and haven't we elevated it at least in that moment above Jesus in our life? Hasn't it in some way become our idol? Do you see what I'm saying? Now you may be like, Tommy, that all sounds good, but you don't understand what I'm going through. I may not, so I don't want to say, oh yeah, but I do. Because that may not be fair. But what I can tell you is this. It may not solve it all. But in those moments where you find yourself taking something material, something physical, something academic, something emotional, whatever it is in your life, and you find yourself elevating it above Jesus... And it begins to control your thoughts, and it begins to control your actions, and it begins to control your mind. I would submit to you tonight that in that moment, turn back to the cross. Turn back to Jesus. Now again, I told you, this is not a pray it away deal. 
Because I believe wholeheartedly. I have people in my family that I know this that deal with these kind of things. Look, I believe wholeheartedly that like there are times where, hey, if you can get some help with certain things, get some help with certain things. We all the time have helped, I don't say all the time, but throughout our history here as a BCM, we have been able to help multiple people who have come to us, and they've, they've come to us with a struggle. They've come to us because something in their past has sort of raised its ugly head, or they've come to us because something has happened in their life, or they've come to us just because of stress and anxiety and all the worries of the world that's just kind of weighed on their shoulders. And listen, we've sent them to get help. Because sometimes you need a little jump start, Right? But remember what Jesus promises us. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. 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 I believe, I truly believe this, that there are some of you in this room right now, you may be on medication. You may be seeing a therapist. You may have an unbelievable support system around you. And you may still be struggling. I believe tonight that what God's word is sharing with you is the encouragement of, hey, go back and make him the priority of your life. Find your identity in him. It may mean you need to give some things up. It may mean that as you make him the priority in your life, you realize that the reason that that thing you're worrying about has become an idol in your life is because the thing you're worrying about was already an idol in your life. You see what I'm saying? It it may mean that, listen, it may just be a simple fact that you just constantly have to be reminded through his word and through prayer and through community with others that, listen, Jesus is enough to save us for all of eternity, which means he is enough to walk through us daily in this life as well. Again, I'm not telling you this. Jesus wasn't saying this and preaching this so that we would walk away going, oh man, oh me, I'm not good enough. And then just leave it there. He was saying this, he was preaching this, so we would go, oh man, oh me, I'm not good enough, but Jesus is. And my hope is built on him. And that's my prayer for you tonight. The world says, you have to have success. The world says you have to have money. The world says you have to have the right job. The world says you have to have the right house. The world says if you don't do exactly what you need to do in these classes, the rest of your life's going to be miserable. The world says if you don't make sure that your parents are proud of you, you're never going to be happy. The world says if you're not the best at everything you do, It's never good enough. And Jesus says, none of that matters. 
Because he died for you. And he rose three days later. And he has paid the price for every sin. And every shortcoming. And every bad thought. And every struggle that you've ever faced in your life. When you can free yourself from that. And embrace this. It will change your life. It'll change your life. Some of you know that. Because for some of you, you're sitting in this room and you know that there have been things in your life that Christ has helped you to overcome. And some of you know that there's been things in your life where, man, it's a little better than it was a couple years ago. But for others of you, you may be sitting here tonight and you may be saying, man, I don't know which way to turn. Number one, turn to Jesus. Number two, come see one of us. Let us pray with you. Let us talk with you. Let us help you figure out if maybe you need to chat with somebody else. Let us help you figure out if, if maybe we need to help you get connected with a doctor. Something. Because you matter. Because you mattered enough to Jesus that he died for you. So why don't we find our identity in him? Why don't we seek him first? One, two, Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our Instagram page at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode.